The true and living God has an eternal purpose. This expression, eternal purpose, is found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11. In eternity past, we use that expression to denote God in his being prior to the creation of the universe. God in Christ formed his eternal purpose. That is his goal to have on the earth a glorious expression of himself in a large group of human beings created in his image who are filled with him and who shine him forth. This particular word used to describe this corporate expression is church as understood by God and the apostles. So the eternal purpose of God is to have in this universe, but specifically on earth, the church as his corporate expression. This is his will and his good pleasure. For this, he created the universe and all positive things, for this, he created the earth, and for this, he created human beings. It is sad to the point of being heartbreaking to look upon the human situation <clears throat> in our country or in any country and see millions and billions of human beings walking about on the earth, living a meaningless life. Their existence, whatever kind it is, is the only meaning of their existence. Millions and millions of believers have been misled to set their hope on their view of heaven, that at least when this life is over, as soon as they die, they think, they go to heaven. What kind of God is it who creates the universe and the earth and puts us here so that we can live, believe, die, and go to heaven. Is that kind of religious thought worthy of the God of glory? Is that in line with the word of God? It is not. Revelation 4.11, as we like to emphasize, tells us, all things were created because of God's will, what God wants to have. Based on God's will, he has a purpose 
to bring forth a corporate expression. And this corporate expression in this age is to exist in a practical way on the earth. When the Lord Jesus returns, this corporate expression will fill the earth in the old creation. And after that age, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And the new Jerusalem will descend to the new earth. So for eternity, there will be this corporate expression on the earth. So whereas religious people set their hopes on heaven, if we are enlightened by the word, we will care not for heaven, but for the earth. And we will join the Lord intrinsically in praying, your will be done on earth. God's purpose was planned in eternity past. Its fulfillment will endure in eternity future without end. Between the two eternities is the bridge of time. Time was created when God created the universe. And time will end when the new heaven and the new earth begin. What it will be like there, we'll have to wait and see. The time measured out to us, the span of our life on earth, from God's point of view, was given to us so that we may live here for God's purpose. Not like the ungodly live only for immediate material satisfaction and do what they can to exist. And not like duped religious people who are satisfied to be saved and then hope to go to heaven We have a purpose to fulfill. We are each one of us on a journey. Paul called this the course that God wants us to completely finish. When Paul said at the end of his life, I finished the course, Paul was saying, I, your brother Paul, in space and in time, I have finished my part in carrying out God's eternal purpose. What a wonderful way to pass from this life into the presence of Christ in paradise. To be able to testify, I finished, I did it, my course. 
And throughout his ministry, Paul refers to his course. In Acts 20, he said, I don't consider my soul life precious to myself, that I may finish my course in the ministry the Lord gave me. And Paul is a pattern of all of us. We know this from 1 Timothy 1.16. And his life as a pattern indicates to end our life as a believer, as an overcomer, means to be able to say at the end, I finished my course. The Lord Jesus prayed like this. He was only 33 and a half. He prayed, Father, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. But in fact, millions upon millions of believers will come to the end of their journey. And most of them will never have had the thought that they should have been living for God's purpose. And a very small minority will be able to testify at the end. That's the only time we can say it. I finished my course. And when I'm focusing on co-workers, but it applies, of course, to any saint. When one of these faithful brothers goes to be with the Lord, it's a deep comfort inwardly to have the sense He finished his course. Now he's in paradise awaiting the best resurrection, the out-resurrection of the overcomers. I'm burdened to mention this so that we would see the connection between time and eternity. God has no intention of making us immortal in our physical body in time. I do not want to live forever and ever in my present physical body. Maybe you 20-somethings who are getting buffed and work out every day at the health club Actually, not for your health. It's because of your narcissism. That's why they've got full-length mirrors in the weight room so the men can flex. We're not here permanently in space and time in this physical realm. Does this impress you? Time is a bridge. Time 
is for the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose. So how do we, to use Paul's expression, redeem time? Make the best use of time. It's not that we read the Bible more or pray more in and of itself. It's that we are living for God's purpose. And God has ordained that most of our time and energy is spent in our human living to fulfill the responsibilities of human beings to work and support themselves and take care of their family. And just to care for a range of things that meet human needs. God doesn't intention that we all live in caves like monks or withdraw from society and live in monasteries. I find it very significant that when the Lord Jesus spoke of the rapture of the believers. He didn't say two women were pray reading. One was taken and the other was left. Two men were PSRPing and reading life studies. He said two women were grinding They're just grinding out the flour, ordinary, boring, daily work. Why was one taken and the other left? The Lord is not arbitrary. He didn't cover his eyes and say, I'll take one. The one who was taken is obviously very different inwardly than the one who was not. They're both grinding. They're both laboring. But one, while she's doing this physically, inwardly, she's living in another realm. She's one spirit with the Lord. She's receiving the divine transmission. She's enjoying God. She is living a life of consecration. She is experiencing the central work of God. She is drinking living water. While she's grinding, her soul and spirit have experienced separation. So her spirit is always free while her soul is using its organs to do what needs to be done. So at any time she can pray, she can sing, she can call on the Lord, she can just enjoy him inwardly. Then two men were in the field signifying their job, their working. One was taken and the other left. 
So what the Lord has in mind for us is indicated by the, by the way he arranged for us to live humanly on the earth. He wants to learn how to live for the fulfillment of his purpose at any stage in our life, in any environment, and under any kind of conditions. Because our life continues, despite where we are, what is happening to us, what we're going through, we're still living. You see, the reason I emphasize living is that the Lord's goal in this age is to build up the church as the body of Christ. If his goal were only to have local churches, we actually wouldn't have to live in the spirit all the time. We would mainly come together exercise our spirit in a meeting, then whether or not we lived in the spirit wouldn't mean that much as far as the church is concerned. But we may, in every meeting of the church, fully exercise our spirit, release our spirit. So, the church meetings are quite uplifted. But the body of Christ, of which a local church is an expression, doesn't have starting times and ending times of meetings. The body is a living organism. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The Lord wants to have a body, not merely assemblies. And to say something so glaringly obvious, your physical body functions because you are always living. As soon as one stops living, we all know the body is really a corpse. The Lord's goal is to have the body of Christ living all the time all over the earth. Not just thousands of assemblies gathering together with saints releasing their spirit. And the Lord is leading us to have a very particular kind of elders training next month. I don't know how the brothers will respond to this, how they'll handle this. No messages on activities. No messages on ways. Everything focused on our person, on our being, 
and on our living. So this is something we can learn. We're all in a learning mode. In order to live for God's purpose, we need to enjoy God. This is why the general subject of the conference is the enjoyment of God and the purpose of God. And the first message, enjoying God and living for his purpose. So the Lord is not here saying, I want you to live for my purpose. He's fully aware of the complexity of our existence outwardly and inwardly. And it doesn't get any easier. Sometimes in fellowship with parents who have young children, I just point out to them, your children may be young, they may be teenagers. Actually, this is the easy time. The older they get, the more you will suffer inwardly in your care and love for them. And so it's not going to get easier. The Lord knows we're complicated because of this fall and because of we're regenerated. So he realizes the difficulty of our situation. How does he know? Because he entered into it himself. He became a man, a carpenter, born into poverty, knew the sufferings of human life. And now in his ascension, we're told, he's touched with the feelings of our weaknesses. He's touched. In his humanity, he has feeling concerning all of us. In his divinity, he ministers constantly into us. So our God knows that if we are to live for his purpose, we need to enjoy him. So we try to point out in the first message that God wants to give himself to us as our enjoyment. He wants us to have this view of him. And the more we enjoy him, the more we spontaneously live him and live for his purpose. Our daily life testifies to this. Things are different. And in one day, if as early as I can, I touch the Lord as grace, I enjoy him, I have one kind of day, inwardly, not outwardly. If I do not receive him as my enjoyment, I have a very different kind of day. The outward situation may be the same. So we need and God needs us to enjoy him. 
And it's best that we all come to him in sincerity and honesty, just as we are where we are. And pray, Lord, show me what it is to enjoy you. Cause me to enjoy you today. Wouldn't it be sad if what we ended up with in the Lord's recovery is the doctrine of enjoying Christ? The doctrine. There's a document written by Calvinists and Presbyterians called the Westminster Confession. It is a summary of their theology. And early in the document, there is this question. What is the chief end of man? Meaning, what is the primary purpose of human life? The answer is quite, quite something. It is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But I would like to observe, and I have a ground to say this, those who are governed by Calvinistic theology are among the most unhappy believers on the earth. I have never met one Calvinist who can say, I enjoy God. Well, it is a commonality among us to speak of enjoyment. But I believe now is the time for the verbiage to stop and for the reality to emerge in all of us by our coming to the Lord and praying. When we were singing hymn 11, at times I wasn't singing, I was praying. Flood me with joy. What is that like? Flood me with joy. Why don't we ask him? Lord, flood us with joy. Amen. Be the strength of my life. Amen. Feed me, Lord Jesus. Give me to drink. Fill all my hunger. Quench all my thirst. Flood me with joy. Brother Lee wrote that hymn. Don't you have the sense every line is rooted in the reality of his experience? Every line. So in order to live for God's purpose, we need to enjoy him. In message two, be emphasized being led by light and truth from God, to come to the altar of God, where we present ourselves to him in consecration and tell him we agree with his working in us and on us, and that we agree and choose that he would direct every step of our life. 
And we agree that we would be what he wants us to be and do what he wants us to do. This is not our promise to do anything. Standing up and making promises and saying, I consecrate to read all the life studies in three years, that's not consecration. That's actually your promise to be a hero in life study reading. <laughs> consecration is presenting yourself to the Lord and saying, I choose to give myself to you and give you my consent to work in me and on me and with me for the rest of my life. And I want you to direct my steps. I will not be directed by myself. I will not be directed by others' opinions. I will not follow the course of this age. I will be directed, dear Lord, by you. And this, make me what you want me to be. Supply me to do what you want me to do. Then we experience God as our exceeding joy. To give ourselves in consecration to the Lord is not something to be dreaded. That's the self fearing the cross. It is a very sweet interaction between us and God. And it's here where our joy begins. And we can't by our own energy just come to the cross as the altar. We need to be led by the Lord's light and truth, bringing us to the tent of meeting, bringing us to the altar, then we will say, I will go. You cannot do this for someone else. This is a personal matter. I cannot pray and say, Father, I bring my granddaughter, Alisa, to the altar of God. She will need to decide for herself. This is a critical year in her life. She's 11. She'll be saved and baptized this year, we believe, along with others. It's up to her to decide how she'll live. Why can't someone who's 12 or 13 have a talk with the Lord and say, I love you. I give my life to you. Then the joy begins, exceeding joy. Then last night, we spoke about the joy of drinking paradise water. From Psalm 36, 8, you will make them drink of the river of your pleasures. The Hebrew word for pleasures is the plural of Edens. And that was paradise. So we come to the fountain, the spring, the river, and we drink God and we realize how enjoyable it is. We also pointed out in relation to the drinking that God's purpose is carried out 
through God's economy. God's economy is his plan and arrangement to dispense himself into us, to produce the church as his expression. That's his economy. So this coming week, all of us in our diverse situations will be under God's arrangement. All kinds of things will happen, great and small, expected and unexpected. Everyone is an arrangement, either directly by God or allowed by God. And the purpose is that we would experience his dispensing right then. I somehow have a couple unusual gifts. One of them almost borders on the miraculous. And, and I'm referring to the gift of disorientation. When I'm driving, I can get lost effortlessly anywhere, just anywhere. Even if I have the GPS or the lady speaking from the air. It's just amazing. And the other gift is just choosing the wrong line to get in. At passport control or whatever it is. Like, oh, 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 this line is shorter. I'm going to choose it. Well, there's a reason it's shorter. <laughs> it's because the person seeing the officer has a complicated problem. And you're going to see people in the long line zip by you while you're waiting in that short line. So I don't like it. I didn't like it when we arrived in Singapore. Visited, that country is visited by 50 million people a year. I mean, they're very efficient, but my, the, the number of people there I couldn't even see the counter. And I'm not happy, but I have a helper. And I, and I need help. I really do. I give the message effortlessly. But when I'm in the line, I need a helper. Ron, this is an arrangement. <laughs> Don't waste the time. Experience the dispensing. So we live for God's purpose by living in his economy, which is to live under his dispensing, which he wants to do all the time. It's like breathing. Every time we breathe, we are inhaling. That's a form of dispensing. Now, we're going to go through in about 35, during the next 35, 38 minutes, a matter related to the body of Christ. But I need to mention uh, two things related to this particular outline. We're considering living for God's eternal purpose by enjoying him. So the more we enjoy him, the more we live for him. The more we live a life of consecration, 
at the altar of God, his, our exceeding joy, the more we live for his purpose. The more we drink the spirit and experience the divine dispensing, the more we are living day by day for God's purpose. Now we come to the real practical aspect. I mean, really practical. God's goal is to have the church as the body of Christ. God's procedure is the local church life. The conclusion is, if we want to live truly for God's eternal purpose, we need to live the church life because now we're in the center of his operation. It is the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus, at the judgment seat that will evaluate the lives of all the believers. It's not for me to say. And I don't. But I speak in principle. Someone who loves the Lord may truly say, I live out of love for you, Lord. Someone like Billy Graham, whom I believe finished his course in victory, he can say to the Lord, I, I lived for your gospel. This was my life. Out of love for you, I preached the gospel. But these are not the same as saying, Lord, I lived for your eternal purpose. I don't think our dear brother Billy Graham knew what God's eternal purpose was. Otherwise, after people were saved in one of his crusades, he wouldn't have allowed his counselors to send them to any religious sect, he would have said the goal of the gospel is to establish and build up the church in this city. So the church life is where everything becomes actual and practical. The Lord brings a motley group of people together. Yes, what a delightful conglomerate of human beings. And here we are, like long-term together, meeting together, serving together, fellowshipping together. I'm not being dogmatic. I'm being practical. I don't see how, in the present age, someone can fully live for God's eternal purpose, apart from the church life. Can you? Again, the Son of Man will decide, and maybe he didn't intend that our brother Billy Graham do anything other than proclaim the gospel. If that was God's intention, and he said, Billy, that was your course, you finished it, then that's what the Lord wanted from him. I have I can just say, thank you, Lord. May he be at the feast. The Lord did not want Daniel to go back to Jerusalem. Daniel never went back. But his heart was for Jerusalem. 
and his being was for God. So the church life, meaning the local church in its practicality, is the means, the procedure, by which the Lord will reach the goal of the reality of the body of Christ. So this message is entitled, Eating, Digesting, and Assimilating God to Become the Body of Christ for God's Administration. So the goal is to become the body of Christ. And the Lord carries out his administration through the body. Now some who are emphasizing doctrine, they would say, what do you mean we become the body of Christ? Is not a local church, a local expression of the body of Christ. Therefore, we are the body of Christ. Yes, that is true, objectively. That is correct. I'm talking about the reality of the body of Christ. Here's what is happening, okay? All over the earth. Only the Lord knows how many believers there are. In China, we have no way to know. So there are at least a few million believers all over the earth in local churches. The Lord knows what is happening in the lives of those believers in the local churches. Are they simply living an outward, practical, physical church life? Or, as they are living an outward, practical, physical church life, are they becoming the reality of the body? And both things are taking place at the same time. So some may be in the Lord's recovery in the church life, 40 years, 50 years, dutiful, faithful, functioning, serving. But the Lord's assessment will be, you, ne you never became part of the body in reality. My life didn't increase that much in you. And sometimes as we come to know, we meaning the co-workers, the way certain ones in the lead take care of the church, it's crystal clear. They do not know the body. If they knew the body, the approach would be very different. So Brother Lee uses this illustration, following Brother Nee doing the same thing. The city of Jerusalem signifies the church. To Jerusalem we've come, we are through with Babylon, we are gathered to be one. Oh, glory to you. Okay? So when... We came and met on the ground of oneness. <clears throat> In typology, we're returning to Jerusalem. So we can be in Jerusalem, but God's goal is to have Zion, 
in Jerusalem. Not just Jerusalem itself. Zion on which the temple is built. Zion signifies the reality of the body of Christ constituted of the overcoming believers. So another way of putting it is we may be in the church as Jerusalem without being in Zion as the reality of the body. And if that's the way our church life ends, then in a very real sense, our church life has been a failure as far as God's goal is concerned. So the Lord can say, you served faithfully thousands of times. You provided hospitality. You participated in the feasts and you did Holy Word for Morning Revival and you were in the meetings. You did this. I appreciate this. But you didn't grow up. You did not mature. You never knew the body. You never entered the fourth stage. I sent a voice in the wilderness Many times all over the earth, this brother crying out, the reality of the body, not only the outward church life, the goal is the reality of the body. That equals the preparation of the bride. And so, where we are now in this message, is how to enjoy the Lord in a particular way, something, we, something that's doable for us. A pneumatic mom with three children under school age, with her hectic schedule, she can do this. A dad who gets up at five o'clock in the morning to be at work by 6.15, and works 10 hours a day, and comes home exhausted, then he has a lot of responsibilities, and he sits down to try to read a life study, and he's asleep in two minutes, okay? These are actual human beings in the churches. There's something we can all do. It's doable so that we become, or at least are becoming, the body of Christ. And what is it? We eat God. Amen. Eating, digesting, and assimilating God. And we know that God wants us to do this by the sheer fact that after he created us, the specific commandments were concerning Eating. Eat of every tree, especially this one, okay? Tree of life, that's included. Just don't eat that one. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eating is to take in something into your being that has a profound effect on your constitution. Don't eat that tree. 
eat all the other trees. And I'm giving you a hint, man. I'm giving you a hint. I'm putting you in front of this tree, tree of life. You can eat all from all the trees. Just don't eat that one. But they ate that one. The woman did it because she was deceived. The man was not deceived. His eyes were wide open. He did it deliberately. A deliberate act of disobedience so he could just not lose his wife. When the Lord Jesus came, we'll see from John 6, he came as bread. The bread of life, the living bread, the true bread, the bread out of heaven, the heavenly bread, and the bread of God. And he said, you need to eat me. And then he made clear the way to eat him is to realize his words are spirit and life. But before he taught that, he himself lived his God-man life by eating God's words. How do we know? How do we know? We know it from Matthew chapter 4. Where the devil is tempting the Lord in various ways. And first was related to food. The Lord had not eaten for 40 days. The devil says, see those stones? If you are the son of God, change those stones into bread. Act like God. He wanted to remove the Lord from his standing as a man. And that would have annihilated, that would nullify it rather. He's standing as a man to deal with the enemy. Only a creature can deal with a creature. Then how did he answer? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, if you want to tell something to the devil, he will know, even though he's a liar, he will know if that's a word of reality. Like in Acts, Paul cast out a demon. The sons of Sceva thought they'll, they'll do the same thing. So they went to a demon-possessed person and said, we rebuke you in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Then the enemy can speak to a person. He said, Jesus, I know. We're acquainted with Paul. Who are you? They got beaten up. My point is, reality was the foundation of what the Lord spoke to the devil. Man shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You look at the footnote. This shows the Lord himself as a man lived for God by every word 
that proceeded out of God's mouth. This is how he himself as a God-man lived. Then after he fed a multitude of people and they came to him to make him a king, he said, you want me to be a king not because you saw the signs, the spiritual significance, but because you got free bread. Then the Lord interpreted the significance. I am the bread. I came down from heaven to give life to the world. He who eats me shall live because of me. So it's very clear that we become the body of Christ by eating God in Christ, digesting and then assimilating. And the practical way to do this is indicated in John 6, 63, so many of those who had been following him, they said, this word is too hard. We, this word about eating your flesh and drinking your blood, we can't take this. So they left. The Lord asked the disciples, will you also go away? Peter gave a good answer. To whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. Then the Lord said, it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and life. Then we put this with a word uttered by the suffering prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them. And your word became to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. So what are we heading toward? We sang to him, feed me, Lord Jesus. Fill all my hunger. The practical way is to spend some time reading and praying with the word of God. No one can eat for you. Maybe not everyone had breakfast, but I'm sure everyone who had breakfast took the food into one's mouth and masticated it and swallowed it, right? You didn't have a surrogate do that. If you don't eat, no one can eat for you. I cannot eat God for you. The co-workers all the elders on earth, the other saints, this is something you need to realize you need. It's indispensable. And it's something that's delightful. And you learn how to do it. Yes, Holy Word for Morning Revival, you have the verses quoted in Bold type, we can just pray, read those verses. But at other times, 
I'm reading through the word. Then I find a word. It just touches me. Then I stop. Your word was found. I found one. I found it. I'm going to eat it now. I'm not trying to read, eat the whole Bible, reading all the genealogies in First Chronicles and trying to pray, read over every name I can't pronounce. I'm not saying you don't get life. It's spirit and life. But you can't read the Bible some. And then pray with something you find. That's eating. That's how the Lord lived. That's how he wants us to live. Then you eat, okay? The enjoyment is in the taste. The satisfaction is in being filled. But we don't live by the food that's in our mouth. Neither do we live by the food that's in our stomach. We live by the food we digest and assimilate. And as we read through the outline, we'll see some specific points on what it is to digest. I'm quite burdened about this. But I know one brother in particular, he removed himself from the recovery, he thought... He was in a realm where none of us are. He knows what to do, and so all of us are off. But he was just utterly devoted to reading the word, reading life studies, two or three a day. One day he told his wife, unless you read two life studies a day, I won't talk to you. So he ate, so he thought all of this, but he didn't know. And doesn't know to this day. Everything he ate was consumed by a spiritual parasite in his being. Nothing was digested and nothing was assimilated. It's not normal for breakfast to eat five steaks, 12 hard-boiled eggs, 20 strips of bacon, two whole watermelons. That's ridiculous. We eat little at a time. We digest it and assimilate it. So surely there is some time during your day where you can at least nibble a little. Maybe it's during the three minutes at the red arrow that you detest. So I found it helpful to have a New Testament in the pocket on the door. I'm not saying I always do that, but why not? Okay. If I, if I enjoy the Lord too much and the three minutes are up, a car behind me will let me know that I should move. <laughs> It's just, we need to realize how indispensable this is. Okay. The outline will really speak for itself. I don't say this lightly. It doesn't need a lot of interpretation. One, God desires that man eat, digest, and assimilate him. God's intention 
is that man would take him in by eating him. To eat is to contact things outside of us and to receive them into us with the result that they eventually become our constitution. So you eat God, you'll be constituted with God, and you become God. The bread is called the bread of God. It's God bread in the word. So you're constituted with God. You'll never be God in the Godhead. You're not going to be omnipresent or omnipotent. But you'll be God in life and nature just by eating God bread. And by jesting and assimilating him. To eat the Lord Jesus is to receive him into us that he may be assimilated by the regenerated new man in the way of life. So we are receiving the word into our spirit. We have to use our mind and our heart but it needs to pass through and reach our spirit. It's when the word reaches our spirit that we're eating it. The spirit is our spiritual stomach. Then our spiritual stomach will digest and then distribute the digested word. Two, eating implies both dispensing and mingling. Eating is the way to experience God's dispensing for his expression. So for breakfast, certain things were on the table existing objectively, prepared in love efficiently. But the eating involves that objective food entering into me to be, that's dispensing. Eating is the way to experience God's dispensing for his expression. So the goal is corporate expression. The way is so simple. We eat God bread by praying with it. The food eaten, digested, and assimilated by us actually becomes us. This is a matter of mingling. I don't know anything about diet. You know, what dietitians know. But I think it's true. I don't know how long it takes. But if I had a certain diet over a period of time, my whole body would be affected, would be reconstituted. And so we need to have, the Lord changed the diet of the people of Israel from what they had in Egypt. You're going to eat manna for 40 years. And manna will reconstitute you. And after manna's done its job of bringing you to the good land, you'll eat the produce of the good land that will really constitute you. Three, as we eat the Lord Jesus, we need to have a proper spiritual digestion. Again, I don't know the physics or the physiology. But I don't think it's so good to eat a substantial meal and just lie down and sleep for an hour. I think it's better 
Take a walk. Let your body have some exercise. And then that may stimulate the digestion. The point is, the digestion requires our whole being is open. All of our inward parts are open. So that the life supply in your spirit will then be dispensed into all of your inward parts. Then that becomes the constitution. If it stays in your spirit, it will affect your appetite and your capacity to eat. It's just like if the food never left your stomach, you always were full. You have no heart to eat. You have no capacity to eat. You just can't. But when it's digested, then you're ready for another meal. If we have good digestion, there will be a thoroughfare for the food to get into every part of our inner being. So we, all of our inner being needs to be open to what we digested. Brother Lee in the book Perfecting Training was burdened for our lack of growth in life in relation to the time we've been in the Lord's recovery. And he used a kind of expression characteristic of him. He said, inside of you, there is an eater. There's an eater. The peculiarity of the self, the disposition of the self, so many things. That is the parasite I referred to. There's an eater. And if you don't allow the Lord access to every inward part of your being, allowing him to go where he's never been before, if that becomes a habit, then yourself will become an eater, devouring everything. This is what happened with this one brother. He's now probably 80 plus years old. He's still doing the same thing in isolation in the desert. But he doesn't know. He's not being constituted. Because the body recognizes a constituted member or not. But he thinks because I'm doing this, I'm taking it in. Yes, you are. But you're not digesting and assimilating. It's so simple. Just truly open every part of your being to the Christ who is in your spirit. Indigestion means that there is no way for Christ as a spiritual food to get into our inward parts. That's what it means. And so I can't pry open your inward parts. I can't violate your being. Your inward parts are under your control. How much you open is up to you. If you need help, you pray for the Lord. Lord, enable me to open my whole being to you. This is a key. Those who live this way, they grow to maturity. They do the same thing that you do to the same amount that you do, but the effect is very different because they digest and assimilate simply because they open every part of their being. Every, every emotion, every function of the mind, all of your memories, everything you think about, your imagination, all the intentions and motives in the will, your heart, your soul as a unit, everything is open to him. And the Lord knows this, so he dispenses through the word into your spirit, 
then you exercise your spirit. And then just like the blood, circulation of the blood takes the digestive food and works it into every cell. That really happens. But to be very direct, it's either happening in us or it's not. It doesn't happen just because you're in a local church. It happens because we eat, digest, and assimilate. See, we need to keep our whole being with all of our inward parts open to the Lord so that the spiritual food will have a thoroughfare within us. If we do this, we will have the proper digestion and assimilation. We will absorb Christ as spiritual nourishment and Christ will become our constitution. This is what happened to Brother Nee. This is what happened to Brother Lee. This is what happened to Eugene Gruler Sr. I remember being in his house at a meal. He was shepherding someone at the table. And he just said in his characteristic way, referring to the Lord, eat him good. And those who knew this beloved brother realized the Lord fully gained his being because he ate him good. He ate him good. It's as simple as that. But the enemy will hit this first in our daily life. This will be the first thing to go. So there's a battle here. But we can prevail. For the entire Christian life should be a feast. An enjoyment of Christ as our banquet. Well, feast is surely corporate. You don't feast all by yourself. We should all eat the same spiritual food. Not eating anything other than the Lord or enjoying anything in place of the Lord. I may, for a very short period of time, check on the news, Fox News, on my iPad to find out the facts of what's going on. I don't want anybody's opinion. But that news gathering is not food. The stuff in my iPad is not food. Reading an article in a magazine, it's not food. We may have to do it. It's just necessary to be informed. But it's not food. Food is what we take in for our nourishment. And so, I'm not saying a young person shouldn't play video games, but they shouldn't be your food. Nothing should be your food because nothing can satisfy your hunger and thirst except God himself. So yes, you need so many things in an outward practical way, but don't let it be your food. So eating is related to enjoyment. So God created us with a sense of taste. He didn't have to do that. It could have been, okay, now you have to eat to exist. So go through the motion of eating. No taste, no enjoyment, but you got to do it to survive. He created us with a sense of taste. Indicates he wants us to enjoy If our enjoyment is something other than Christ, 
then in the sight of God, that enjoyment is idolatry. Five, God's economy is that we eat Christ and be constituted with him in order to express him and represent him. This is how we fulfill God's purpose, image and dominion. God's eternal plan is to dispense himself into us so that he becomes every fiber of our inward being. This is going to happen. We will be thoroughly transformed, saturated and permeated with Christ. And then eventually our body will be transfigured, become a body of flesh and bones, no blood. And every aspect of our tripartite being will be saturated with God. And this will be our condition in eternity. And the overcomers will be like this in the coming kingdom. So God's, okay, A, God's eternal plan is to dispense himself into us. Okay, I read this. B, God's economy is not a matter of outward things, but of Christ coming into us inwardly. For this, we need to take Christ by eating him. The way for us to become the reality of the kingdom of the heavens is to eat Christ as the all-inclusive bread. Oh, these points are delightful. As the heavenly king, the Lord Jesus rules over us by feeding us with himself as bread. That's how he rules. He's a king, but he doesn't want to rule you with a rod of iron. He wants to feed you, and then the bread rules you. By eating Christ as the all-inclusive bread, we are subdued and brought under the kingly and heavenly rule, and thus are constituted with the reality of the kingdom. So, young married brothers, you're learning how to be ahead and how to be headed up. Don't make the mistake, or at least don't keep making the mistake of just trying to be authoritarian with your spouse. Feed her kingdom bread. Help her to eat kingdom bread. The bread subdues us. There is nothing in your being that can withstand the kingdom bread. Amen. Don't try to change yourself. Don't give up on yourself. In the sense that it's impossible for you to change. Eat bread. The kingdom bread will subdue and conquer anything in your being that's contrary to God. Amen. This is good news. All the kingly elements are in this bread. Thus, the more we eat Christ as the all-inclusive bread, the more the royal ingredients are constituted into us to become the ruling element within us and to make us the increase of Christ as the reality of the kingdom of the heavens. The reward for the overcomers will be to partake of the wedding feast. The principle of overcomers is the reward you receive matches what you are experiencing today inwardly. So those who will eat of the tree of life, they are presently eating of the tree of life. And so the way into the kingdom, we will eat our way into the kingdom. Don't, don't try to improve. 
Don't accept the enemy's lies that will never be changed. Eat kingdom bread. Drink paradise water and eat kingdom bread. We are all one body because we all partake of the one bread. Our joint partaking of the one bread makes us one. There was one bread on the table. Now there still is one bread. But it's in each one of us. And that fragment of the bread represents the element of Christ in us. The more we eat, the more this element increases in us. And that is our becoming the body of Christ in reality. Our partaking of Christ makes us all his one body. The Christ of whom we partake makes us all one. We eat ourselves into oneness. God's eternal purpose is to have a group of saved and regenerated people who, are, who have become one to be an organic body to carry out his administration. This is how we go from just the church as an assembly to the body. Something has to be taking place internally in us. And that is the increase of Christ for our, by our eating of him. And first we will eat him because we're hungry or we'll eat him for our enjoyment. Eventually we can say, Lord, I'm coming to you to eat you for my life supply and I'm eating you for the church in Phoenix. I'm eating you for the body. I'm eating you for the bride. I am eating you so that you can have what's on your heart. This is the way it happens. Amen. So God's eternal purpose is to have a group of saved and regenerated people. We have become one as an organic body to carry out his administration. The body of Christ is the corporate Christ, the body Christ. The corporate Christ is composed of Christ himself as the head and the church as his body with all his believers as his members. The Bible considers Christ and the church as one mysterious Christ. Christ is the head of the mysterious Christ and the church is the body of this mysterious Christ. The two have been joined to become one mysterious Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. So is the Christ. So we've reached the goal, at least in vision. And this is what's on the, the Lord's heart for his recovery. This is what was on Brother Lee's heart in 1974 when he spoke the messages on blending. And he presented to us what the Lord imparted to him. The Lord acknowledged there are hundreds of churches. Is this all I want? Where is the reality of the body of Christ? In 1994, 1994, May, Brother Lee said he did not see the reality of the body of Christ anywhere on earth. That word changed my life. That word shapes my ministry. I believe in the last 24 years, we have made some progress. We don't have brotherly here to help us discern the whole situation. But 
I live for this. Everything is for this reality. This is what the Lord has been waiting for for 2,000 years. The church built up the reality of the body of Christ. Everything has been provided to us. We have the ministry. We have the life. We have the God-ordained way. We have the opened-up word. We have the church life. Now it just has to happen where we enjoy God and live for the purpose of God by consecrating ourselves, by drinking paradise water, by eating all-inclusive kingdom bread, and let it really work in our being, little by little, day by day. I believe that if it's of the Lord's arrangement and his economy, for me to be with you about this time next year, I believe in so many of us, if not all of us, there will be much more Christ than there is this morning. Because we can spend the next 365 plus days eating a little bit of kingdom bread every day and digesting and assimilating him. Yes, for our nourishment. Yes, for our enjoyment. But primarily for the fulfillment of the desire of God's heart. So let's enjoy God for the purpose of God. Thank you, Lord. My burden has been released. We have about 15 minutes. Please speak in a clear, succinct way in any language to confirm and testify of the word concerning eating, digesting, and assimilating God to be the body of Christ. Please follow the spirit within and exercise.